Welcome to Building Conversations, a construction podcast powered by the STO Building Group. If you've been following our podcast over the last two years, you know that interviews with AEC experts about the trends driving the industry are our bread and butter. But today's episode is going to be a little different. August 2021 marks Structure Tone's 50th anniversary. For those of you who aren't familiar with STO Building Group's history, Structure Tone New York really started it all. To celebrate our legacy brand reaching this monumental milestone, we've recorded over 30 employees of all levels and backgrounds telling their Structure Tone stories. From first-hand accounts of building in the 1980s, rebuilding after 9-11, and creating a lasting company culture, we've covered it all, decade by decade, and we'll be releasing the highlights in an oral history series over the next several months. And to kick things off, we're starting with the visionary who started it all, Structure Tone founder, Patrick J. Donahue. Again, welcome to Building Conversations, and episode one of Structure Tone's 50th anniversary oral history series. Uh, hi, Patrick Donahue. Um, the founder of Structure Tone, many, many moons ago. And what would you like to know? We wanted to start at the very beginning to understand how Mr. Donaghy, an 18-year-old Irish immigrant in the 1960s, built one of the leading interior construction businesses in New York City. Well, I was born in Tyrone, Northern Ireland. And Tyrone, Northern Ireland, back in the 50s, was like a war zone, Okay. Uh, a, it was after the war, and B, it was British-occupied. And uh, for us, on the other side of the fence, there was no future. Every job was accounted for, every job was manipulated, gerrymandered, whatever it took, even the biggest source of work, which was the shipyards in Belfast. So if you were a young kid at that time and growing up with that and seeing uh, what they were doing to the people, your parents, your friends, your aunts, uncles, whatever. Um, it, was, it was a war zone. And the first thing you start thinking about is getting the hell out of there. And good, that's what I did, 1959. Uh, I was invited here to America, thank God, by my sisters. I had two sisters here. One of them was nice enough to pay my fare uh, on a plane that I never saw, except in the air. You wouldn't see many planes sitting around back then. And um, I ended up landing at Idlewild Airport. Or better known today as JFK. I was 18 years old and a very open mind and very curious about the rest of the world and especially America. I loved America. So that little guy now comes to Kennedy Airport with $11 and one little tiny suitcase, like a briefcase. And then we started into the business, trying to find a job. Fortunately, my sister was, she took me down to an employment agency and I got a job. Except the job was ripping out old ceilings in apartment houses and come home at night and all my sister could see was the whites of my eyes. That didn't last too long. Luckily, Mr. Donahue says construction ran in the family and he was able to get some hands-on experience at a very early age. My, my father worked was a, was a foreman of a quarry, 
which was did home building and stuff like that and roads and all that stuff. So that's construction for him. And kind of in the blood, I guess. When I was a kid, I, I built a, an outhouse when I was about 16. And it actually stayed there until I was gone, 1959. Even better, Mr. Donahue had attended a technical school back home, so he knew how to read drawings. While you were ending up finishing at the tech, you had to actually physically go work on a site. So all the mechanical drawing, the, the carpentry, and everything else you did at school uh, all came into fruition when you went to the job site. This skill and his willingness to take on any task helped propel him when he transitioned to his second job in the States. I ended up going from there to a very, very great old firm called Nelson & Frizzick, which was a, uh, a woodworking company, which was right up my alley because I could read drawings, I could draw them, I could speak English. The whole shop, all the mechanics were all uh, Polish, Italian, German, Czechoslovakia, they couldn't speak English. So this kid ended up in this position where the boss would come to me to talk to me about going to pick up plans from the landlords or the architects or the contractors. He asked me one day, could I drive? And I said, yeah, I could drive. Because I was driving when I was 10 years old on a, on a tractor. And uh, I had no license, but I drove his car around New York City, <laughs> taking men to the job sites and stuff like that. From there, Mr. Donahue was recruited to join a construction firm known as Weichel Construction. Weichel was a small company. They, first of all, I knew my boss at that time, uh, who was an accountant, knew nothing about construction. So if you want to talk about luck in business and luck in how you get something started, is you have to be in the right place at the right time. But you also have to kind of make the right moves at the right time. In this case, for me, it was perfect because I was moving from the construction site to the office, but also taking a much larger view of what was going on in, in the business world because, as I said, he did not know anything about the business. So he would depend on me to line up the subcontractors, take the bids, do the pricing, do the takeoffs, all that kind of stuff. And it was at Wycall Construction where the very first seeds of Mr. Donahue's trademark client-first mantra were planted. To my surprise, of course, I was doing a lot of the estimating myself. So to my surprise, when I would give somebody a price, do the job in the time that they were expecting, they would thank me. They would, they would pay and they would thank me. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And it's true. If you do the right thing, you do the right job, people appreciate it. And I caught on to that real, real early in the game. Another critical moment on Mr. Donahue's path to building the business was meeting StructureTone's co-founder, Louis R. Marino. And when Lou Marino and I, in 19, uh, I guess, 68, we met and started talking about business and how his company was. He was, he was in a smaller company as well. Um, we had a tremendous amount of similarities. Lou is a wonderful individual, passed away at 58, unfortunately. But we kind of just gelled. And besides working at similarly sized construction firms in the city, Mr. Marino and Mr. Donahue shared a deep appreciation for their favorite football team, the New York Jets. I met him at a uh, Jet, uh, when the, you know about the Jets, right? And Joe Namath, 
Joe Namath is my hero in the jet history. Um, that's where I met him at a dinner, uh, luncheon rather, that used to happen on Mondays after the jet game. If the Jets lost, you got chicken. If they won, you got steak. And, and so that started the relationship, and that probably around 1968, then 69, the Jets won, the, won the, the whole thing. From there, their relationship only got stronger. Then we would meet for a beer every once in a while just to chat, and then as got into the, you know, 69, we started talking about the business and how we were doing, etc. And at that time, uh, my wife was expecting, she was actually pregnant with the twins. And I decided, you know what, it's time to, st- to think about moving on. And just like that, a partnership was born. Two of us decided to go on business. We decided to look for somebody to support us, give us the, the, the first uh, infusion of cash that we would need, which, by the way, was a big $50,000. I know you're laughing, but it's not funny. If you go back to 19, 1970, it was not funny. But we had an office, and we started hiring laborers and carpenters, and we started talking, knocking on doors and talking to our clients. A lot of the clients that I was working very closely with, I already had told what I was doing, so they were right on board. So basically, the minute we started, we already had work coming in. And then it started to snowball a little bit because... We were doing the right thing. We were doing the right job. We were cheaper than most contractors, and we were the new boys on the block. And they used to challenge us, you know, can you really do this job? Yes, we can. That's basically the whole history of how we started. Although loyal clients followed him to his next venture, Mr. Donahue explained that the construction market in the city at the time was definitely not ideal for getting a new business off the ground. Everything was very slow, but the only thing that saved us was that we were not out there trying to build buildings, okay? We would do an interior fit-up. An interior fit-up is a little bit different than building. Interior fit-up, a client may need you even if the client is cutting back and taking less space. They still need you to go fix that space up. It's like the advertising companies, we were a tremendous amount of advertising. We were doing J. Walter Thompson, Gray Advertisement, Dolden and Birnbeck, and we're doing about five of them. And they could keep you going just doing moves. They got a new client. They did not want that new client in the same spot like Coca-Cola and Pepsi. They got Coca-Cola space. They called it the Coca-Cola space. They got the Pepsi account. They called it the Pepsi space. So we were called upon many times to build the space in a very short period of time, four or five weeks, six weeks. It was just a great entree into the, the whole business of how it worked. The next thing that this day one crew needed was a company name. I had gone to meet uh, the real estate guy at IBM, and he said, I'll be more than happy to put you on the, on the bid list, but uh, because you're brand new, you need to have a track record that you could show us as your new company before I could even give you a project, but I can let you bid. And I said, well, we're not a bidding service, so... Let's see if we can't do something about that. And he said, what you should do is try to connect with somebody that's already working for IBM. It just so happened that that big $50,000 investment mentioned earlier came from Jim Morrow, the founder of an acoustic flooring company called Soundtone Floors, who had worked for IBM in the past. 
and bingo, that's how the name came. Structure. They were doing floors. And they were doing sound studio floors. Sound tone. We're sitting in the office one night about 7 o'clock talking about the name that's going to be very important because of what the guy from IBM said. And I came up with the name Structure Tone. And that name has been bantered about unbelievably. What does that mean? Where did that come from? I know where it came from. While this initial pursuit wasn't for a huge project, this job for IBM certainly helped Structure Tone build momentum early on. It was in Garden City, Long Island, a small job, um, building offices. And we did a tremendous job, a real good job, because we knew that our neck was on the line to prove ourselves. And the guy in charge, his name happened to be John Tour, And John liked us. And John wrote a very glowing letter about this wonderful new company that did his project. And he sent it to the real estate group in White Plains, IBM Real Estate. And that kind of kicked us off as far as the real estate group was concerned because that's all they needed to know was the management going to be happy with their decisions. So now that John Tour wrote the letter, they could show that as proof that they didn't make the decision, but management made the decision. So it's one of those political things within the organizations that happens every day. And uh, I think that was major. Thanks to clients like this, within their first year of business, the company had to expand to a larger space that could accommodate their growth. It was a two-room office with a reception area. And uh, you, can, you can tell we weren't thinking too big. That was about 1971, probably. And uh, we actually had to move out by the end of that year because of, of the amount of work and people that we needed to support us. When we moved from two, 677 Madison Avenue to 240 East 39th Street, which was the Soundtone warehouse and offices, the warehouses down on the street floor, which was the old garages, and the offices on the second floor. So we hired an architect and did a nice job and built a suite of offices with plan room and stuff like that. That was when we were looking ahead. When asked about one of the most memorable jobs from Structured Home's early days, Mr. Donahue did not disappoint. So we're, we're, we're starting off and we're waiting for this, what we call big job. And it was uh, for simplicity pattern. And it was uh, almost two million bucks. We were probably one year in business maybe at the time. But we knew about this job in the first year we started. And uh, it was like a, like a big, big deal. And we said, if, when we start the demolition on that job, we're going out to dinner. We're going to celebrate. And we did. We started the job. We started the laborers off at the demolition. And we went off to a local restaurant on 34th Street. And we had about a two-hour dinner and a couple of drinks. And we came back to the site, 200 Madison Avenue. We're standing in the lobby, almost patting ourselves on the back, you know, about we got this job and, you know, and all of a sudden we noticed the water coming down the face of the elevator doors. So said, hmm, that's not a good sign. And we went upstairs and there's a bunch of laborers standing around looking at it, water coming out of the sprinkler pipe. They broke the pipe, sprinkler pipe. In the meantime, they didn't know how to shut it off because the building manager wasn't there and the maintenance guy that was there didn't know where it was. So I'm yelling at them, put a bong in it. I'm talking about a <laughs> bong that used to go in the churns when they churned the milk. There was always a bong in the side of the churn. So 
they're like, what, what's a bunk, you know? So I broke the head of a, of a, of a sledgehammer, prepared it, and stuck it into the pipe to stop the water. So now I realized Jimmy Shapiro, who was the chairman of the board and owned Simplicity Pattern, his office was right underneath where we were working. So we went down to see Jimmy's office, and there was water coming down the paneling, because at that time they, all these big executive offices all had dark paneling, which I know that's not happening today. The ceiling was, was already drooping. The light fixtures were leaking. So what to do? Do we now stop? This is the end of Structure Tone, or do we do something about it? So we got the water stopped and eventually got it shut off. This is like now by almost midnight at night. Our office was about five blocks away at the time, and we had a little warehouse there on 39th Street. And now you're on the phone calling subcontractors, who in some cases you didn't even know their own phone. But thank God we managed to, to get most of them, including Santone Floors. They did the carpet there, brand new carpet. So they had some carpet left over. Got them lined up, we got the electrician lined up, got the ceiling guy lined up. We got our laborers with linseed oil to clean off the panels, and, and we got the job done about 5 o'clock in the morning. At that time, we used to keep shirts in the office. We went back, changed our shirts, put our suits back on, and came back to the site at 9 o'clock, waiting for Jimmy Shapiro. And uh, he walks in. We're like, what are we going to say if he realizes what we did? And before we had a chance to say anything, he just went like that. How's, how did the job go last night? Before we can answer, he'd taken off his coat and he smelled the linseed oil. And he says, you know, guys, we got the best cleaners in this office in New York City. Look at this place. It's like brand new. <laughs> we didn't know whether to laugh or cry. So that's a, that's a construction funny story. With a solid client base and an increasing number of jobs coming in, Mr. Donahue and Mr. Marino decided to further invest in the company's future by acquiring Vinmar Construction in 1973. And Vinmar was for sale because the owner wanted to get out of the business. He was an old construction company for many years, Vinmar Construction, New York City. And uh, we made the deal, a three-year payout, and we would get the owner and his son and about 20 employees, including project managers, superintendent, estimator, and then down to carpenters, laborers, and uh, even a, uh, a warehouse full of old equipment and construction materials, and a truck and a driver. So it was a home run in the very early stages of our career that uh, we now had this credibility because we had uh, a bunch of people that were in the business and they were now working for, for Structure Talk. Vinmo was a good stepping stone for us. As the company continued to grow, Mr. Donahue talked about what set Structure Tone apart as the firm got started. At first, it was their lean operation. I think we brought to the table this easy-to-deal-with client relationship type of thing. We were only interested in what the client wanted. We didn't want to sell them something that they didn't want. We didn't want to do the merry-go-round that these, some of these big companies would do. They'd bring 10, 12 people to the sales presentation and uh, the client would be bamboozled with questions and, you know, we'd walk in, maybe two of us or three of us, maybe we'll bring a chief estimator or something with us. And uh, it was 
slim and trim and, and uh, they could see that it was the overhead wasn't there so we were going to do a you know a job much less uh, than than our competitors second it was showing clients that they would always come first yeah well did you ever see one of the cell phones and i had a thing on my belt that i could slide it into and i'd go to the presentations and i'd put it up on the table and if it rang it rang i picked it up and answered it and i'd say excuse me I got to talk to this client. I have to talk to them, and I'd get up, excuse myself for a couple of minutes, come back to the to the table, and we'd leave the presentation. And my guys would be like, "Well, I guess you just blew that presentation." What the client saw was that the client got the attention. Somebody was calling. It was client calling, and they could reach me at any time. And that went from a negative to a very big positive because it was true. They could call me at any time, any hour of the day, and I lived by it. And third, it was sheer determination to get the job done. You know, you, you didn't want to let anybody down. You didn't want to get the reputation as being a schlump that uh, promised something and couldn't deliver. That was very important to us. We knew it was very important to our clients because in a lot of cases, they were putting the neck on, their neck on the line to the hierarchy of the company that we could do the project. So it really was a no-brainer that we do the right thing. And we didn't get greedy and we didn't try to do more than we thought we could deliver. And I think that was very important. Work was never an issue. Getting jobs was never an issue. It was could we perform, could we do the right thing and did we have the right people in place. Mm -hmm. That was the challenge. We had all these blue chip clients. We realized that you know we better move fast to, to build up the organization because otherwise you're not going to be able to do it. And I, I did not like to tell somebody who can't do a project. You bent over backwards, you went out of your way, and you, and you managed. It was just, you know, pure grit. And as business took off, Mr. Donahue and Mr. Marino maintained this philosophy, no matter how busy they got. As we started to get into the, the latter part of the 70s, um, you could almost see the, the marketplace picking up and, and a lot more business coming our way and a lot bigger and better jobs. But we didn't care so much about how big a project was. We were more interested in the client and continuing the client. We were the client's contractor. And that has paid off tremendously. That, that it was a situation where if we didn't do the right thing in bidding or delivering a project, okay, we deserve to lose that client. But we were so protective of the clients that we very rarely lost a client. Rare that we lost a client. So the whole idea then was getting your people all to, to function with that mentality. And a big part of making sure they're doing the right thing mentality was always present, was by hiring and mentoring people who shared their values. And my motto was always, make sure you're hiring up people that are smarter than you, not down. People that are, you are now the boss and you are gonna tell them what to do. Anybody that you tell what to do, they have no excuse if they screw up because you told them what to do. No, you have to tell me what you're gonna do. And I think that, that probably was the mentality that saved us a lot. We wanted people that could mix and match and you know, do the right thing while steering clear of the corporate hierarchy that might make the company's leadership seem unapproachable. I hated that. 
I hated that, and that was very, very important, because we had some people that had some issues, personal issues, family issues, and uh, I didn't want somebody coming into work that had family issues and afraid to tell me what the issue was going on. That, that would be stupid. How do you expect somebody to do a property as work if they have a load on their shoulders that they can't handle? So, yeah. After building a positive reputation and beginning to assemble an A-plus team, Structure Tone leaders began to think about how they could continue this momentum through the next decade. That was where we really started to um, hire and, and uh, bring in more of a uh, professional touch to it including salespeople that actually did the presentations and that type of stuff, an office manager, all that good stuff. And I think that that was kind of what we saw coming and, and what we, we, we knew was our weakness, the support system within the organization. We'll be hearing much more about this decade of growth from several of those early day new hires, many of whom still work for the company today. For now, we've asked Structure Tone's original mentor, to leave us with a piece of advice. Believe in yourself. And if you believe in yourself, who else do you have to prove anything to? And live beyond people's expectations. That's what I like to say. Surprise them. To Structure Town founder, Mr. Donahue, we'd like to say thank you for sharing your stories and congratulations on Structure Tone's 50th anniversary. Stay tuned for episode two of Structure Tone's 50th anniversary oral history series on the Building Conversations podcast.